Lily trying to go 4-0 and as a Dodger tonight. Got him. 11 strikeouts. A magnificent game for Ted Lilly. And he's checking on me to make sure I'm, you know, I'm okay. And yeah. I said, you know, I said, yeah, I'm, I'm fine, Lou. And I said, but hey, uh, your fly's down. <laughs> and, uh, and he, and he, and he kind of looked down subtly like he knew it was down. And he said, and he said to me, don't worry about me, kid. I'm just out here trolling. If you had the chance to have a beer with your favorite baseball player, what would you talk about? Would you ask the same tired questions like every reporter after the game? How did you feel? What was going through your mind? Yada, yada, yada. Probably not. It's time you hear the stories that these players have never told. This is the Setup Man Podcast, where we have conversations that every fan wants to hear and the stories that every player and coach deserve to share. Let's get started. What is up, Setup Nation? Hey, we are motoring right along on the Setup Man podcast, still in our first month since we released. And if you have not already gone and checked out all the other episodes, make sure to go do that at setupman.net. Also, subscribe to our list. I can't impress this on you enough. If you are not subscribed to our list, you are going to be missing out on some major major giveaways when we do in fact start doing those and what do those giveaways look like well for example when we go to spring training i'm going to be interviewing a ton of people this upcoming spring training at least that's the goal and we're going to be bringing bats we're going to be bringing balls we're going to be bringing shirts hats to get signed so that the upcoming year in 2024 during the season we're giving away swag we're giving away memorabilia and so if you're not subscribed to our list and if I can get it started even quicker than that, I'm going to. But if you're not subscribed to the list, you're going to miss out on an opportunity to get some of those giveaways because I'm only going to release those if you're subscribed to my list. And also, of course, whether you are watching this on YouTube, make sure to subscribe and leave a comment. Or if you're listening on the podcast, uh, leave a five-star review. This is so, so huge for us. It really helps us to be able to get our content out there. And even more so, if you really enjoy these episodes, just click that share button, send it off to three of your friends. I know you've got baseball friends. Send it off to them because they're going to want to hear some of these conversations that we're having. Now, this week's episode has a little piece of my heart because Ted Lilly was one of my favorite lefties on the Cubs as I was going through college. I remember watching a lot of his games, but he was one of my favorites to watch because uh, he was sneaky, sneaky good. Like, you know, he wasn't lighting up the radar gun, 90 to 92. He had that really big hook of a curveball, not quite a Clayton Kershaw curveball, but it took a while to get down. And then he just had this finesse about him that I was like, it's so fun watching this guy pitch. And he would take, I remember there was like a stretch of five or six games and, and maybe even in one season where it was just like, every time he went out there, you're just like, is he going to flirt with a no hitter every single start? And for me, like, it wasn't just that. It wasn't just the finesse. It was also, this guy was, to me, it, it, it appeared, and I actually asked some of these questions on the podcast, it appeared to me like he was two different guys. Like, in the dugout, fun-loving, kind of, you know, just easygoing. And then once he gets out on the on the mound, it was like, okay, don't mess with this guy. He's a bulldog. And I'm not going to lie, this was my first in-person podcast that I've done with any ball player. And because of that, because he was also a Cubs player and, and he was, you know, again, a guy that I watched growing up, 
I'm not gonna lie, I was pretty nervous, like especially because it all happened so fast. So the way that I met Ted, just so you know, his brother actually was a part of uh, the sale of my truck. He works at a local car dealership, and in the conversation, he was like, "Yeah." My brother owns some real estate because I do real estate. And he was like, my brother owns some real estate and is doing Airbnb. And uh, he's a former MLB guy. And I was like, oh, who's, who is he? He's like, Ted Lilly. And, and before you know it, I'm getting Ted's number. Then I'm on the phone with Ted. And he's like, yeah, come over to my house. And I was like, I, you, you want me to come to your house? Okay, cool. Like it, it all happened really quickly. And so um, it was really cool to, to just be in his house, to be welcomed in like that. My wife, you'll probably even hear in, in a few spots some kids in the background. Uh, my wife was entertaining his kids with our newborn, and it was just a really cool moment for me as I start this this new podcast. So without further ado, let's talk to Ted Lilly here on the Setup Man podcast. Cheers, Ted. Welcome to the Setup Man podcast. Cheers. Excited Thank to have you. Thanks for welcoming me in your home too. Um, but hey, catch me up. I you know You had an amazing career, 15 years, six different teams. Pitch for the USA and the World Baseball Classic, but you've you're still in baseball now. So catch everyone up. What are you up to these days? So I'm scouting with the Cubs still. Um, I started doing that in '14 after I retired, and uh, have kind of, as the years have gone on, taken a little bit more of a role. Um, I was coaching at our local junior college in, at Cuesta, and stopped doing that a couple years ago, and now uh, traveling a little bit more, seeing more players. Um, and uh, pretty soon here at the end of the month, heading back to Des Moines, Iowa to do some play-by-play for our AAA team. There we go. So, so t- talk about that. Uh, is that something that you've always wanted to get into, or is this kind of a, uh, a change in what you were thinking? Yeah, so there's always been some level of curiosity um, you know, with that. I, I think uh, um, you know, I've enjoyed you know, hearing both, uh, both color and, and play by play. So, um, yeah, I, I think that, uh, it's, it's something that, you know, it's a definitely a big commitment in terms of time yeah. and, and homework going into it. And as, you know, as the game has evolved so much since I was on the field as a player, um, there's a lot of homework to do. And like, I, I just, you know, I have a lot of respect for the guys that, uh, you know, that are all in on that. It's, it's, it's a, you know, there's, there's work there. Well, and I know you're good friends with Dempster. So how's your Harry Carey impression? Can you do that too? Or <laughs> not as good? Demp, I don't know that anyone can do it as, as good as Demp. He, he, um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's an incredible, you know, talent in, in so many different ways. He's a great impersonator. Um, I've never seen anyone be able to uh, be able to memorize movie lines for like 10 straight minutes <laughs> at three in the morning like he can. It sounds like he and I would get along. I'm yeah. a big movie quoter. I want to know more about what life was like growing up. You were about an hour away from me over in Oakhurst, California. I'm from Fresno. Town of 2,000 people at the time. First of all, how big was your graduating class of high school? Um, It was small. I want to say... I want to say we had in the school somewhere over 600 yeah. kids in, in, in our school at the time, something like that. But um, I will say we had we had two two players from that graduating class in 1994 make it to the big leagues. Oh my gosh, who was the other one? Jay Spurgeon. Okay. Um, who's yeah? Who's a really close friend of mine. Cool. He uh, you know kind of growing up in, inspired each other. We had a a really special group. Um, 
of guys that were very hungry and, and, and motivated each other to be better. It was a, it was a very healthy competition thing that we had going on. Um, Do you look back on that and say like, man, would I have right not... place at the right time? Yeah. Very lucky for sure. So at what point were you like, Hey, I got something special in this left arm. Like, I, I think I've got the chance to make it to the big leagues. Were you being, was there a moment in your teenage years? What was it not until you were in college? What did a coach tell you? What, what was that moment? Um, I, so kind of a, kind of a funny story. One of, there was a little bit of a moment when, um, my friend Corey and I, mm-hmm. uh, went to Candlestick Park. Nice. The Marlins were playing the Giants. Um, and Barry Bonds, it was, uh, I think it was like maybe game three and we'd got there early. Bonds was now a giant, had just gotten to San Francisco. And Charlie Huff at the time, we, we were in the stadium early. Charlie Huff is, is, uh, throwing a bullpen. Okay. Um, and he's at the tail end of his career. Uh, you know, it might've been his 24th or fifth year. And he's throwing a bullpen and he's kind of, he was a knuckleball pitcher. And so he'd float one up there and, and, and hit the catcher's mitt and the catcher would hang onto it. And then he'd turn around and kind of like scoot over to the back of the mound, bend over and take a puff off his cigarette and kind of <laughs> old man, like lean it down on the, on the back of the mound and then ask for the ball back and take his time and throw another knuckleball floating up there at about like 60 miles an hour. How the game has changed, huh? And uh, yeah, and so I um, I remember standing on the sideline, like you know, going into it. I didn't know a whole lot about Major League Baseball. Um, how old at this time? Uh, seventeen. Okay, sixteen, seventeen, right in there. And and I just remember seeing someone that was had you know pitched in the big leagues for twenty five years, throwing it about sixty miles an hour, right. and I thought to myself, I. I can do that. <laughs> so Charlie ended up being my, my pitching coach in, in a ball. And, and so I got to share that story, you know, with him, uh, as you know, the most inspirational, you know, um, <laughs> him yeah, that I, yeah. dropping a cigarette. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Okay. So you graduate from high school, you went to Yosemite high school in Oakhurst. Um, were you expecting to move on to play in college or did you get recruited? Did you have to go try out? What was that next step? Yeah. So I, I wasn't expecting, okay. uh, really, I, I wanted to keep playing, but I just, uh, up until my junior summer, um, I just wasn't that good. I was, I was undersized, um, and, and really not physical or talented enough okay. to, to play. So, um, so I had anticipated going into the military and, uh, wow. and I had started thinking about like, you know, becoming a seal and doing those, like making the most of whatever that was. Okay. That's kind of where, I, you know, at that time, my senior year rolled around and I started to pick up a little bit of a velocity. I think by that time I was up to like 82 or three miles an hour, maybe. Okay. Uh, which as a lefty for going to college so, is actually still pretty good. Yeah. And you know, obviously that's, you know, that's not you know, it's not hard, but I think I was, you know, um, I think I was maybe topping out at like 75 that, you know, the, uh, the summer before. So, um, yeah, so I, I grew quite a bit and got a little, you know, um, got a little stronger and started throwing harder. 
Um, and then Ron Scott yeah. and Eric Solberg came to Yosemite High School to um, kind of toward the end of my senior year. Uh, and, and no one had approached me and about coming down to uh, Fresno City. So how cool. Um, yeah, I, I'll never forget the day sitting down with them. I, you know, it, it felt like a big, really big deal uh, that someone, you know, um, wanted me in their program. Yeah. So when you get into their program, then it sounds like you developed even more. Yeah. So uh, you've been down there. You've seen how much talent goes through that program. Um, there's a, a tremendous amount of, of uh, baseball talent in the Central Valley. And, uh, and Ron is phenomenal with people, uh, a very good baseball guy across the board. Um, can, he's, he's the best navigator of issues. I don't think I was, you know, the easiest kid to deal with, but he, um, he was super helpful as, as well as Eric, just for me, staying focused. Okay. You know, um, kind of realizing that there's some potential to go on and play. And, uh, you know, I, I, I was, um, I had, you know, I think a little bit of my own version of the ADHD and, and so, um, they were just, uh, they were just so good at kind of in, in their way, you know, dealing with a multitude of, like I said, a multitude of different personalities and challenges throughout the team. And, and, uh, I, I benefited tremendously from that program. That's awesome. So you get into Fresno city. Did you have enough success to where you were like, I'm expecting a major league scout or a major league team to call me? Well, so the summer after my senior year, I went, um, with a group that our high school coach had put together. Um, he put together an all-star team, the central Valley all-star team. And, and we had, um, uh, four of us, from Yosemite High School playing on that team and, and traveling. We went up to uh, Washington and um, and I pitched in a game and I think I hit maybe 87. Okay. I think it was. So um, so uh, Marlin Scout, Rich Bordy came up to me who was a former Fresno State um, star and ended up, ended up playing in the big leagues, uh, came up to me and, and asked me if I was interested in signing and offered me $5,000 to sign. And I still run across Rich quite a bit on the scouting trail. Um, uh, tremendous scout, great guy, good, you know, good stories. And, and so, um, when, when I had kind of, um, that was my, you know, my, my real first time where I thought maybe I had a shot. So I had not been at, at Fresno city yet. It was after my senior year in, and, uh, gotcha. played over the summer. Okay. And did not get drafted. Okay. Um, and I think, you know, he was, we were in that window where he, you know, uh, the clubs could sign players. Got it. I ended up talking to Ron Scott and uh, Ron, you know, Ron's a pretty confident individual and he had more confidence in me than I did. And he assured me that uh, I would be best off going to school and, school and, uh, okay. and, and up and up in that, that draft stock. So. Um, okay. Yeah. So I, I trusted him and uh, obviously sure glad that I did. So when draft day came, were you expecting around the 20th round? Were you expecting higher, lower? Um, so uh, Toronto, Dave Bloom with Toronto uh, drafted me 
in the 13th round after my freshman year. And then I went back from my sophomore year and, and didn't have a, didn't have a good year, but, um, but the Dodger scout, um, at the time, Joe Ferrone, uh, just, he still believed in me and wanted to sign me. And I ended up, ended up working something out with him. You get drafted, as you know, especially being a scout, nothing's guaranteed. In fact, a lot more players don't make it than do, uh, when you were drafted, were you at that point like, okay, this is it, I'm, I'm going to make it to the majors, or were you still like, I got a lot to prove even to myself? What, what was that journey like from there? Oh, uh, well, I knew that I was going to do everything that I could. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, uh, of course had, had doubts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, it, um, I, I hadn't had success for very long, you know, um, on the baseball field. So, you know, it wasn't like there was a tremendous amount of confidence going into it. I, um, I did, I did always enjoy the spirit and the opportunity to compete. That was always fun. Um, and so I, I think that was, you know, that was something that was kind of a natural, um, uh, you know, a, a natural, uh, I'm going to say gift, I guess, of some sort where, um, it was, no matter what I was doing, it was always fun for me to compete and, and just whether I won or lost, um, I enjoyed being able to do it. And so, um, that I knew I would do and along the way learned, uh, you know, by, by observing successful people that I would be exposed to through short spurts, watching what they did, the work ethic that was put in, um, you know, those were, yeah, those were some of the opportunities that, that really helped me. When you say the things that you learned through those short spurts, are you talking about through the minors or once you made it to the majors? Yeah, through, through the minor leagues. Okay. Um, Can you yeah, tell me just, about a couple of those situations? Well, my uh, early on, I had had a good year, um, my first year. And so I got to be exposed in Vero Beach at Dodgertown. I got to be exposed a little bit to some of the big league players. And so, you know, watching... Um, some of these, you know, the Dreiferts and, and, uh, and Ramon Martinez and, and, um, yes, just some of the guys on the staff, the Dodger players and watch how they conduct themselves and try to watch them throw bullpens. I would go to the practices when I could, uh, when it was available and try and watch all those guys just practice Nice. and, and learn from it. Was there one practice or one situation or one tactic that you ended up getting that you were like, that's the one thing that's missing. Or was there just a a culmination of a lot of different things that you learned to, to be able to build up to from being like what you said, having fun and competing to eventually, you know, you were a dominant major league starter for a while. So what, what was some of those things that you learned? I'm just curious mentally that changed you. Um, I think, the, the biggest thing was ultimately um, getting to the big leagues. And when I was in New York with the Yankees, yeah. watching um, watching Clemens yeah. and Mucina uh, throw their bullpens and how, and how they practice. Yeah. And, and what that was was the intent of repeated delivery and command the fastball and starting there. Um, that was, I would say if I had to pinpoint one thing, that was the most, um, most critical thing in my career was learning how important it was to be able to repeat, repeated delivery so that you, you know, so that I could command the fastball. 
um, you know, I, I was kind of coming up with, you know, pieces flying all over the place. And every now and then, if, if I happened to my arm catch up and I'd hit on it, I could throw a quality pitch, but it was just so inconsistent um, that, uh, you know, that I was, I was always chasing counts and, and pitching from behind, um, trying to strike guys out before I had two strikes, kind sure. of an approach to pitching. Um, so, yeah, I, I was really lucky watching some seasoned veterans uh, go about their work. I love that you said that, especially the command of the fastball, because one of the things that always impressed me about you was the inside fastball. You could locate that like no one out there. I would always see, you know, because when you're throwing 90 to 93, right, most of the time you're not going to be able to get away with missing two or three inches. And I would see, you know, Soto set up on the inside corner with that, asking for the fastball, and he wouldn't have to move that glove. So was that something that you, like what you just mentioned, was that where you really picked it up was from Clemens and Mucino, or was that just something that always was natural for you? Um, I wouldn't say natural necessarily. I, I felt like there was some good natural feel for spinning mm -hmm. the ball. Um, but that was something that ended up coming, the consistency came with, with practicing. Mm. Uh, practicing, commanding the, you know, uh, commanding the fastball, repeating my delivery. And... You know, it's it's kind of like in some of the things that I've talked to uh, talked to some of the younger players now is is if you know we have this desired result sixty feet away, um, what we do up here over this rubber is super important. And and all you know, unless I can be consistent here and repeat a move, that's always going to be challenging. Mm -hmm. And you'll see that you know sometimes when you know we'll move guys up fifty feet and 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 guys still struggle to uh to keep it in the zone yeah um, just because the delivery is you know kind of all over the place so uh yeah yeah so you mentioned it but i just looking through all the rotations that you were in it was it was such a reminder for me that i'm like man ted was in some legit rotations um from the yankees you mentioned musina and clemens then to the a's Mulder, zito Hudson, Harden, um, you're pitching with Kershaw in LA, you're pitching with, with Wood and, and a lot of the guys over in Chicago. What was, when you look back on the 15 years, two questions. One, what was the best rotation you ever pitched in? And number two, which was the most influential for you to take your game to the next level? Um, I'd say... I'd say the best rotation, and this is this is tough, um, you know, with with the talent that was in Oakland. Yeah. Um, but pitching in the in the AL East and at that day and age mm. uh, with some really loaded lineups. Yeah. Uh, was was a challenge that those guys uh, those guys stood up to um, in that Yankee rotation. So when when El Duque was healthy, uh, he was as good of a big game pitcher as any of them. Uh, you know, um, and Andy, uh, you know, Pettit is clearly in that same group. You know, yeah. I, I, I don't know how many postseason wins he has. I think it's in the twenties or something. Yeah, One of the all-time leaders. So, um, so yeah, there was, uh, um, I mean that, that staff and that group, I mean, there was some influx of course over, you know, over the time that I was there, but for the most part, um, those are 
you know, there's some big game pitchers and, and, uh, and pitch makers in that group. Was that also the most influential group to you? Overall, I would, I would say, uh, I would say definitely. And especially at that time, you know, I was, um, you know, I had, uh, maybe a month under my belt or so yeah. going into it. So it really wasn't until, at least to me, right around the end of your Blue Jays career and going into your Cubs career when you really were seen as more of a front of the rotation guy than uh, a number three, number four, number five. Did you enjoy kind of being like, you could say under the under the rug where a lot of people didn't expect you to, to go out and throw seven shutout innings or did you like being more in the spotlight and with higher expectations? Um, I... I... I like the pressure, I guess, cool. and I, and I and I like you know really what it was. It wasn't so much where I was viewed in the rotation. Um, I I wanted to be on a winning team and and you know pitch in the playoffs and pitch big games against good teams and that was more so the thought rather than um, whether someone thought I was a you know a two or a four starter or a five or whatever it was. Um, you know if if you have the baseball in your hand, you have a chance. I look at you and I say, man, that guy's a bulldog on the field, right? Like the, there's been a few situations. I was actually one, at one of the games, uh, but uh, the, the Renteria throwing at him, the, uh, the moment with John Gibbons where, you know, you, you both are barking at each other a little bit. Then NLDS against the Diamondbacks. Um, I, I was at the game. I didn't see it until after, but give up the home run and, and throw the glove down on the, on the mound and, I just see this is a guy that plays with intensity, plays with passion, um, and it looks to me like what that really is is you just holding yourself to a much higher expectation than maybe even the people around you. Um, do I have that nailed, or is am I wrong? And also, just um, is that something that's always been inside of you? Yeah, I I think yeah, winning, you know, and and. Uh you know, finding a way to do that. And, um, and, and then, you know, sometimes handling losing, mm -hmm. you know, was, was challenging for me too. Right. So, uh, as, as it is, you know, for a lot of guys and, and some, some do a lot better at holding it inside. I, um, I felt like I tried, but there were times where I just, uh, I, you know, I would, I would just kind of come unglued and snap, but, um, yeah, and and you know, and and I say that, and and uh, my son is a you know he's a pretty passionate competitor as yeah. well, and I see that in him, and I'm you know I'm trying to get him to you know to not you know to keep his emotions in check too. Do as dad says, not as he does. Yeah, and I'm like <laughs> I was the same way. Yeah, yeah. So, um, what what do you? What do you see as Ted on the field versus Ted off the field? Are you the same person, or do you feel like once you get in between those lines, you're a different person, different competitor? I, I do. Yeah, I do feel like it changes. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I think about when I step in between the lines, I think about the, the work and the time that I've put in and what it means, mm -hmm. uh, what it means to me, my family, teammates, the fans, um, and... Uh, you know, uh, one thing I, I can, you know, say, I always felt like at the very least, um, not only do I owe the fans my absolute best effort, like when I'm pitching that day, but even the days in between, you know, with the work that's put in, um, there's, you know, there's obviously a lot of money in the game. And I'm 
pretty fortunate to have opportunity to play in the big leagues in the first place. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I felt like the effort in between starts is kind of the least thing that I could do. It was something that was within my control. You've played for some pretty intense managers too. Uh, the one that sticks out to me is Lou Pinella. Um, what, what was it like playing for Lou? And as a fan, right, we kind of, I remember specifically one game in 2007 when it was like the transition, right? You would come in, Marquis had come in, uh, Wood had been transitioning to the pen, and there was a high expectation on the team. And I think it was right around 500, and Pinella, you could just tell, needed to have a fight with an umpire. Hmm. And you wonder, as a fan, like, is that who he is in the dugout, too? Is he fiery? Are you scared of someone like that? Or is he a completely different person from when when the, the game starts? Um, yeah, not a completely different person. I mean, uh, you know, definitely, uh, there's no doubt, you know, a, a passionate competitor. Uh, you saw it as a player and as a manager. Um, when When he got to Chicago, I think that it was still in there. Mm-hmm. He, um, he, it was subdued from what it was historically, but, um, but he was there to win and that, and yeah, and that didn't go away. Um, but, uh, yeah, Lou, Lou was, um, I learned a lot, um, because he was a pretty vocal thinker. Um, and so, uh, you know, I would tend to sit, you know, for the most part within an earshot of, of some of his you know, some of his thought process as to, you know, who we intend to bring in and, and who he wants to pinch it and why. And I just, um, I learned a lot about, um, about the game and, and kind of from that perspective and the manager's perspective and, and, uh, um, and, uh, yeah, Lou, Lou was a, also, you know, there was great forms of entertainment that a lot of the fans got to see that on occasion we did as well, but, yeah. uh, um, yeah, he's there's there's plenty of good Lou Pinella stories out there. <laughs> Give me one. Um. Okay, here, so so one, I'm I'm pitching in a game in in Pittsburgh. It had been there had been a couple of rain delays, and uh, I think it was like a swing and bunt. I go over there to pick it up. Ball's wet and fire it down the right field line. Runner ends up on second. And then the next one is a bunt. They bunt again. I go over there and kind of fall and bumble it. So now we've got like first and third and nobody out. And he comes out to the mound and and he's checking on me to make sure I'm, you know, I'm okay. And yeah. I said, you know, I said, yeah, I'm, I'm fine, Lou. And I said, but hey, uh, your fly's down. <laughs> and, uh, and, he, and, he, and he kind of looked down subtly like... He knew it was down, and he said, "And he said to me, don't worry about me, kid. I'm just out here trolling.'" <laughs> so, um, yeah, he. I mean, he was just he was a character, and you know, uh, as much as he could be um, fiery at times, he could be really calm you know, in 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 the heat of the moment too. Um, and that comes from having done it. You know, he just uh, he he's he had seen so much. Um, and knew when it was time to light a fire and when it was time to, you know, lock in and focus. And he just, uh, um, yeah, I mean, he, he brought, uh, he, he brought a, you know, a really, um, 
unique and 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 uh, uh, kind of just a, a really good attitude towards the club. That's really funny. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just trolling out here. Yeah. <laughs> I have to ask because I'm just as a fan. I look at there's a number of different times when a manager goes to the the mound and the starting pitcher or the pitcher on the mound doesn't agree with their decision. Um, in I believe it was 2006, John Gibbons came up and was taking the ball from you, and there was a heated back and forth. Um, how much of that are you willing to, to share what, what was said there and, and just kind of what went on? It was a situation where um, we were matching up against Dan Heron, who I think was leading the league in ERA yeah. at the time, and, uh, and our offense had given us like a 5 nothing lead through, through three innings. And um, I believe I may have gone out there for the third, um, and ended up I ended up walking Eric Chavez on a three-two slider, and I dropped my arm slot to mm -hmm. try and get him to swing and miss. And then the whole inning just compiled so quickly, okay. and I and I think I just I got to where I was in a in a place where I, I was super frustrated, and instead of focusing on executing pitches. Um, I kind of went through this just like trying to throw it as hard as I could mm. um, out of anger and yeah. lost focus. Sure. Um, and so I, before I knew it, it was five to four and something like that. I don't remember exactly, but it, it was like a one run game or so Gibbons comes out and, uh, and he's, you know, he was a pretty intense intense guy as well and uh, in, in competitive nature um, but he comes out and, and said uh, said you know what are you what are you doing out here you're uh, um, something to affect that uh, there was a lack of effort oh, okay and so I I uh, you know I I was upset about that um, I, there was there was definitely a lack of focus uh, but it, it wasn't it wasn't from effort it, yeah it wasn't from the like the the but yeah the 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 uh, the focus got in the way of of being you know being effective for sure and uh so he'd he'd kind of chat me and and uh went to ask for the ball and I didn't give him the ball at first and then and then I did we exchanged words and then um I went in the dugout and he he followed me in there and we let our emotions get the best of us okay yeah about as far as you want to go with that that's good now yeah yeah <laughs> understand well and just like what we said earlier right your son's sitting here listening <laughs> follow what he says not what he does <laughs> yeah yeah you've had a lot of um big moments in your career you almost threw a no hitter um with the cubs you were pitching for the usa team in the world baseball classic twice you've been a two-time all-star when you look back at the 15-year career what's the one moment uh or two moments to you that kind of stick out to you when you think about some highlights from your career? Um, yeah, that the, the, the one hitter, um, in, uh, in Chicago, the, the day that, uh, the Blackhawks were out and celebrated their, um, their championship, uh, was, was a pretty special night. Cool. Um, one of the games that I think about quite a bit, and, and this is because, you know, I'll, I'll get uh, I'll get a text from friends every now and then about uh, giving up a a, a five thousand foot homer to Barry Bonds in Yankee Stadium. <laughs> I'll get that every now and then, and so um, 
you know, I, I can't help myself but remind them because it was, it was one of my most rewarding starts, giving up, giving up the three-run homer to Bonds with, uh, with nobody out. And then we ended up winning the game five to four or something like that. I was, I was able to kind of survive, and I think I maybe have had given us like six and a third, something like that, um, and to hang on and win the game. And I, and, and I just, you know, the reason I feel that way is because, you know, that game will just will do that to you at any moment. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, you know, I, I think I, I enjoy seeing – you know some some young players that just kind of have the never say die and and yeah. continue to compete even though it looks you know looks bleak and and that one was immediately looked immediately bleak you know so um yeah you you never know uh and and that's yeah that's a start that i remember uh probably more than any of them i like it your career ended with the Dodgers, um, and it felt very abrupt. Did it feel abrupt to you when it all went down? Um, I know you were dealing to, with some to, injuries. Yeah, to some extent yeah. it did. Um, I had just spent so much time in the training room and, mm-hmm. and was uh, was not helping us on the field. Um, so, yeah, the way that ended uh, was was tough, and we were – you know the organization was just starting to make some some strides in the right direction, um, but uh, yeah, I mean that was that was definitely you know a, a great experience coming over there and watching um, watching a young twenty year old Clayton Kershaw yeah. um, learn how to navigate damage um, with erratic command, but you know talking about someone who will compete until it is totally over um you know i I don't think he gets you know enough credit for just that uh for just his his um the makeup of the character he's he's he is no question talented um but i think it it it, what's and it's kind of crazy to say this but i think what gets overlooked um is some of his creativity at times when he's not been healthy Hmm. And found a way to win. Still, um, uh, there's been games where he's taken he's taken his stuff out there. That's uh, uh, that you know make it difficult. And he's he's just he's intelligent and um, is and is as composed as anyone I've ever I've ever played with. With you both being on opposite ends of your career at, at that time, um, was he coming? to you with like, Hey, you know, you're, you're a veteran lefty. I want to learn some things. Did you pass down any knowledge to him? Yeah, we, we got a chance to talk quite a bit. And, you know, one indicator is like the, the, you know, the thoughtfulness of questions that a 20 year old is is able to ask. And I remember thinking to myself that, you know, he's asking questions and I, and I feel like he's, he's been doing this for 10 years in the big leagues. Yeah. Um, he just kind of had that way about him. Um, they were, um, you know, they were, uh, very, like I said, very thoughtful questions, but also, you know, it wasn't just me. Um, and, and he didn't necessarily take, you know, my word as, as, you know, as, as what it was. I think he, he digested it really well. He was able to discern what was useful for him. Um, listen to my opinions. 
and then also ask others questions, whether it was a, you know, I, I mean, he was open to asking, you know, someone that we had just called up um, that was pitching out of the bullpen and whether they were successful, but if they had something that was, uh, that was helping them, he would pay attention to that and, and want to learn. He, um, uh, yeah, is as good as anybody about, and I'll even say like understanding the game of baseball too, and, and all the facets involved, not just pitching. This has been a lot of fun, but now we're going to get to our lightning round. It's called the 27th out. You ready to rock and roll? I think so. All right. Yeah, <laughs> let's, let's do, do this, man. Okay. First question. Uh, I was able to meet both of these dogs, but what are both of your dogs' names and breed? Hank is a redbound coonhound, and uh, and we have a mini Aussie, and her name is Annie. And was Hank named after anyone? Um, just like the name. Yeah, I think we just we ended up liking the name. Okay. Yeah. I was yeah. wondering if there's a Hank Aaron reference there, but that's that's fine. Favorite player of all time. Favorite player growing up was Will the Thrill, and 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 would still be to this day. Very nice. What's your favorite player right now? Mike Trout. Okay. I like it. Uh, who is your favorite teammate? Ryan Dempster. I like it. I could see that for sure. Uh, any player that you emulated? Wasn't Charlie, was it? Um, <laughs> no, but gosh, what a great person to em emulate and learn from. One of, one of the players that I tried to, uh, that I tried to emulate myself um, was John Smoltz, oh, okay. a right-handed pitcher. When his games were on TV, I would put a mirror in the opposite direction and kind of get the reverse negative and watch him pitch left-handed. I love it. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, favorite coach? Pitching coach through my professional career would would be Charlie Huff. Okay. And, um, and Eric Solberg, you know, from the influence that he had at such an important time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the person, you know, those I've, I'm pretty, pretty fortunate with the coaches I've come across. Did you ever have a favorite stadium that you played at? Wrigley. Oh, yeah. nice. What about it? Uh, the fans, the, the fans, I, I think, I mean, obviously the atmosphere is special, but, um, and I, and I say that because kind of regardless, you know, I, I felt like watching those fans, if there was some effort from the player, they were behind you, mm. you know. It's just the the nature of the Midwest, I guess. But um, but yeah, I would I would say that was you know Chicago and and that kind of you know Midwestern culture was. I like it. Is there any person or thing or team or player that just really helped develop your passion for baseball? I, I do think about right now Joe Torre. Um, you know, many times. Could have sent me back to AAA. Mm. Um, you know, I I was not necessarily performing, and I, you know I felt like he continued to give me opportunities, and he he believed in uh, he believed in me, and and uh, so you know he that was a you know again another like fortunate opportunity to be in the right place at the right time. If there was any player or coach that I would ask, give me one adjective that describes Ted. What would they say? Quietly competitive. Okay, I'll take it. Uh, one ritual that you had before the games that only your teammates knew about, if you had oh, any. I didn't. I, I didn't have a, a ritual necessarily. Um, a routine, I guess. Okay. Uh, but in terms of preparing, but um, 
I can't say that I had a ritual. Wasn't performing or receiving a prank from Ryan Dempster? No, <laughs> no, not on, not on game day. Not on game day. Okay. Yeah, we. I think uh, I think we kind of gave each other some space. There you go. If a movie were to be made about you, who would you want to play your character? Maybe Justin Timberlake. Oh, there you go. He's it's a he's, spitting image. He's yeah, it probably <laughs> not for that, but uh, but he's 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 my he's. He's my favorite entertainer, I guess. So I love it. Yeah, and Very I mean, cool. he could probably do anything. Now, if you could be able to go back to your twelve-year-old self, and your thirteen-year-old son is sitting next to you, what is the one thing that you would tell yourself? I would say, as you know, as we, as we get older, don't don't let the joy um, of of the game. Uh, fade away with mm. the, you know, the, um, with the pressure, mm. um, and, 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 you know, there's a, there's a mentality, you know, being, being around people that, you know, that pressure is fun yeah, and, and, and kind of look at it, look at it that way. Ted, last question. Uh, is there anything going on in your life, uh, right now, uh, whether it's in the game of baseball or just in personal life that you're just working on as, as a project or maybe a next step and uh and what you're trying to accomplish for for yourself i'm i'm like in a really fortunate position to be home and spend time with the kids so i i think like the opportunity to to be home and and raise kids is would would be the focus for sure that's awesome yeah as a new dad i i really appreciate that yeah very cool i appreciate your time ted it's yeah been a thank, lot of fun. yeah yeah thanks for uh thanks for having me on your show all right, next week we're starting a really fun series. It's our broadcaster series. And as a lot of you know, as I was going through college, I was an aspiring broadcaster. And so during my time with the Padres, I actually got to develop a lot of great relationships with broadcasters. And that's exactly who I'm bringing onto the show. So we're going to start next week with Boog Shambi, the Chicago Cubs current broadcaster. I actually did stats for Boog one game when he was with the Atlanta Braves. And that's a really, really fun conversation that we had, especially if you saw what happened with him and Ronald Acuna. Uh, they they kind of called Acuna and the Braves out at the end of the season and got a lot of crap for it. We actually talk about that. Then the following week, it'll be Matt Vaskersian. He was actually one of my mentors with the Padres, followed by Len Casper. I got to develop a great relationship with him uh, while he was with the Chicago Cubs. And then we're going to end with Chip Carey, which is really cool for me because, you know, that's the voice that I listened to growing up, becoming a Cubs fan. He's with the Cardinals now, but he talks about Harry Carey, his grandfather. He talks about being able to to bring on his own spin to the game. And, you know, this is just really, for me, a, a fun series that I hope that you'll participate in. And if you really enjoyed this episode or any episodes, do me a favor. Please subscribe. Please leave a review. And make sure that you share this with three baseball friends of yours. I know you have baseball friends out there. Just go out there and share with three baseball friends because they're going to want to hear these conversations with guys like Ted Lilly and Troy Gloss, Matt Strom, and all of our upcoming players. Hey, that's going to do it for now for the Setup Man podcast. I'm going to go put my arm on ice. We'll see you next time.